aiming for the moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I am Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we'll be interviewing Dr. Mark, Dr. Bugs Moffat, who is a biologist, explorer, and author. He's traveled to over 100 countries and has written numerous books about insects and how their social structure relates to human society. So here's the interview. All right, welcome, Dr. Moffat. It's great to have you here. So you are well known for studying bugs and using all that research about bugs to compare that to human society. So it's very fascinating to have you on. Thank you for coming on. I'm always glad to talk, particularly to younger folks, because they understand uh, insects more than older folks, I think. You know, we all started off, off watching insects when we're small, smaller than you, you know, I was watching ants and diapers. And so I think we all have this intuitive feeling that they're interesting. And then we're supposed to outgrow it, which I find very annoying. (laughs) Yes, sir. So it's very, I find it very fascinating how you can basically use this insect research to compare it to human society. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, going back to, you know, what we saw when we were children, uh, when we were like even infants down there on the ground looking at ants, which are my favorite uh, insect, uh, we all, we had the sense that they were like us. I mean, they're building things, they're making highways, they're making homes, they're carrying back food, they're dealing with enemies, uh, they're working together in all kinds of complicated ways that you really don't see in things like chimpanzees, even, even though there are relatives, they, uh, you know, there's all this community going on and it's a very high level. There can be thousands of them, as you know, when you go to your kitchen and you left out the sugar all night, but ants particularly and termites and some other of these social insects are able to work together and cooperate and build societies that do all kinds of things that you don't see in other animals. Yeah, that's really interesting. So could you give us some examples of how they kind of relate to people? Well, uh, you know, I have a, I actually have an article just out in a, a business journal, the Journal of Organization Design, uh, a leading business journal comparing ants to human organizations and the kinds of uh, issues that ants do uh, deal with uh, similarly to humans or differently to humans are, are are quite interesting, both of them. So leafcutter ants, which are the most complicated social insects, and if you live down in Texas, you might see them, but mostly they're in the tropical Americas. They actually have agriculture. They have a domesticated crop that they grow, and it involves in a complex assembly line that would be familiar to most farmers, uh, including you have to harvest the crop, uh, give it a mulch to grow on, you have to uh, keep it safe from uh, foreign pests. And so they actually have their version of an insecticide, a fungicide to keep out uh, fungi and other bacteria that are bad for their their crop. And so what they grow is a a kind of fungus, it's their food, which has little uh, things at the tips of its growth uh, that look like little apples that they eat that have their complete diet. And uh, this kind of organization skill uh, is really unparalleled in the animal kingdom. There's nothing else 
like it. Uh, so those are uh, those are fascinating similarities in that they have to they've had to domesticate this fungus. The fungus lives only with them. It can't be out in the wild, just like uh, rice and wheat now are part of our community in a sense. They're part of our lives and they're not separate from us, even our dogs and cats. So uh, those are examples, for example, uh, that I can come up with that are most extreme and more interesting to look at. So, and they, but these examples go off in all different directions. So uh, complicated and simple. Yeah, it's fascinating how all the, these little, little things can basically have these super complex networks that they basically organize and run. It's I find it very interesting. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I do, too. <laughs> thank you for your confirmation. <laughs> so there was a movie that came out a few years ago, years ago called Ant-Man. And it basically talked about a superhero who could transform down to the size of an ant. Well, in the movie, they highlighted ants who could basically do all these kinds of things, and he'd use them to basically rob a bank. So he highlighted several different types of ants, and I just kind of wanted to ask you about them and basically what the movie shows that they can do. So it's kind of interesting. So, well, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's a, it was an okay movie. I actually talked to a couple people involved in the movie first, and I thought they'd go a lot farther into really cool stuff because ants do a lot more than they showed there. They, they had did some basic things. But, you know, I did an article on ants and the art of war. You know, oh, how wow. ants carry out warfare and they're doing all kinds of strategic things that uh, we think of in human battles of uh, where you put different kinds of troops, how you move forward. Um, uh, the shock and awe technique is very important in ants, just having a huge number. That's what army ants do that mow down and before the uh, anybody can respond correctly. Uh, having specialized soldiers and so forth. There are even ants that uh, uh, have uh, explode when they contact the enemy. They are explosive ants. Uh, this is a, the most extreme form of defense. So you don't want the enemy to move one inch. You better destroy them instantly. So uh, all these things are still potential things out there for a future Ant-Man movie. I'm just saying, call me up. That is so interesting. It sounds like ants can do a lot more than what they highlighted in the movie. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's right, Maddie. And uh, what ants can organize is really incredible because uh, they have a difference from us, which is important. Ants, if you had a super intelligent ant looking at human societies, they'd go like, what is this stuff you have with leaders? You have these leaders around telling you what to do. Isn't that ridiculous? Can't someone just blow up the White <laughs> House and the whole country would fall apart? And it would. Ants do not have leaders. They, every ant contributes a bit of knowledge. It's this distributed intelligence. Uh, every ant has a bit of knowledge. They're exchanging information really fast in the case of like army ants, which have swarms of sometimes millions. So even though there's a swarm moving forward, and nobody in that swarm knows where it's going. And yet the swarm tends to take the, the path that gives them the most food and gets the most bang for their buck. How do they do it? 
All the ants are contributing bits of information. It's flowing through the ants, much like the neurons in your brain. None of those neurons are you, but in combination, they're coming up with all these complex thoughts. And this capacity of ants to distribute this this, um, uh, information throughout all the members of the society gives them a resilience that you don't see in human societies. So you can step on ants in the kitchen all day and they'll just keep coming. You can't take out a leader. You can't stop them. They all figure it out jointly and continue to go for that yummy sugar and the kitchen counter. That's really fascinating to kind of think how different ants work than humans, yet they're so successful. Um, So you've kind of mentioned this, that you've been studying insects since you were like really, really little. So how did you really get started studying insects? Well, I literally did get started studying insects as in Salida, Colorado, a small town in the mountains, uh, down in diapers, just watching them. And I just never outgrew it. I showed commitment. You guys gave up. I'm sure you were doing the same thing in ants. And you're, I'm just disappointed in most of the human race because the potential for learning things, uh, we lose a lot of that potential as we grow older because we're all told to study certain serious things and not other things. And what we actually intuit when we're a small child is often very interesting. And those, so that includes those social insects, the ants, bees, and wasps, and termites. So I just never gave up. Sorry, I I didn't know how to stop. My parents didn't believe it was a real job studying ants, mind you. I I think it's awesome. I I do uh, stories for National Geographic and photography and so forth for them. And somehow they think that's a real job. I've got them fooled because it's not really either. But, you know, as long as your parents think you have a real job somewhere and you're having fun, this is the secret of success in life. That's my view. So this is kind of a follow-up question, but do you have any stories about the beginning of your career that you think our listeners would enjoy or like to hear about? The beginning of my career was, uh, well, I was I was not very focused on schoolwork because I was always looking at nature. You know, I was one of those backyard kids that uh, uh, wasn't being very social because I was too interested in finding turtles and crayfish and all kinds of things in the creek behind our house and so forth. So, but I, I do know you're going to, you love books. I'm going to mention one of my favorite books. I have others. Uh, When I was uh, in junior high school, I got uh, a membership to the science fiction book club and there were three books for a dollar to join. And one of them was the insect societies by Edward O. Wilson, who's a very famous biologist. And I bought this book and I didn't know half the words. It was like, just like, it was like, It was like a religious cult. It's like, what are these cool things about ants? I can try to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And that led me forward. And I also joined the Wisconsin Herpetological Society when I was uh, about 12 as well. That's the society of people who study snakes and lizards and frogs and whatnot. And uh, I went up to the very first meeting, the inaugural meeting, and uh, with a bunch of like much older guys who were very like, oh, it's a serious snakes, blah, blah, blah. And they were all these cool snake people, but they're also really uh, uh, kind of unusual people. There was one lady who uh, had a cement mixer in her backyard to build stuff, and she had giant tortoises in the basement and gave us a pie made out of thistles. But, you know, all these really neat people. And I thought this was amazing. It broke me completely from my thoughts of regular school and so forth. And I started 
looking at biology as something you could actually have an exciting career in, even at, you know, at 12. That's awesome. It sounds like you were really, really successful in joining all of these clubs and reading all on it at 12. That, that is impressive. Yeah, well, it was, it was fun to do. And that's one thing I do tell uh, younger folks is, you know, do things that are unexpected. You're, you guys are doing something that's unexpected because when you're, you're older, you know, when you're 50 and 60 and people talk about, oh, this famous person, it's always what they were doing when they were younger, like when you are now. So try something unexpected that'll make a great story. You guys are turning into storytellers of a sort. I turn into a storyteller a teller about ants. So we all have become kind of storytellers, but figure out where those stories are that intrigue you and what you're doing now becomes the story that you tell about your life later. So for me, it was tracking down these biologists and I became very good at catching things. And so I could actually uh, do the karate kid thing and catch a fly in midair. And I would use that to feed my African chameleon. So I raised these weird lizards. And I went down to Costa Rica with some of the biologists I met at this club and did research on venomous snakes uh, at when I was 16. So it was already causing trouble, but good trouble because it led me to like publish papers and be a scientist. So it was all excellent. You said, it sounds like you've had a really interesting life. Um, so uh, we have our last two questions that we ask all of our guests and you've kind of already answered this one, but we wanted to ask it anyway. So what books have had an impact on you and why? Well, I mentioned my Edward O. Bilson's book, The Insect Societies. And he's a famous professor who writes a lot of books even today. You should look him up. And uh, he became my professor too when I became a graduate student. One of the first books I really loved was uh, Gerald Durrell's My Family and Other Animals. And this is about a naturalist growing up in a small island off of Greece. And how he related to nature was exactly how I felt about nature. So he's written a number of classic books uh, about his life. And then he, he eventually bought his own island and put all kinds of rare animals on it to protect them and so forth. So his whole career was really interesting. And then later in my life, I became fascinated by, well, not later in my life, starting in high school, say, I became fascinated by the early explorers, you know, people like Darwin and Wallace. One of my favorites is uh, Mary Kingsley. Not many people hear about Mary Kingsley, but in the late 1800s, she grew up in a house, uh, didn't have, never went to school. Her mother raised her because her, her father was always gone. And then both her parents died within a year or two, and she was just on her own. And she decided to take off to West Africa, uh, which was called the White Death at the, that point because it was so dangerous. And she wrote all these books. She was really interested in fish and little totems that the natives made. And she was very progressive about like the value of the African people and the smarts of the African people. And she had great stories. One of them is she falls into a... Uh, a leopard pit with spikes at the bottom uh, to kill a leopard. She accidentally falls into a disguised leopard pit and she writes, it teaches you the value of a good stiff skirt. Because apparently she was wearing, you know, the full Victorian outfit and she fell and it saved her life. So just not many explorers are women, but she was awesome. 
She really does sound awesome. I actually haven't heard of her, but the story about the leopard pit basically just makes me want to read everything she wrote anyway, because that sounds like the most exciting story ever. And she sounds like a really fascinating person. Travels in West Africa is the book to look for, but its I don't know if it's even available very much. You'd have to look on those used sites. She deserves to be known more. She's a very cool person. She discovered all these new species. So, Yeah, that really is fascinating. I definitely will have to check out her book and see if maybe if we can um, find it, we'll review it on our podcast. That'd be great. Yeah. So our last question is, what advice do you have for teenagers? Well, I kind of uh, alluded to it earlier, and that is uh, don't. uh, Well, here's the here's the primary bit of advice. Ignorance is good. If you don't know what you're doing, to some extent, it's good because I didn't know, for example, uh, that I could go join all these researchers. I just was this kid full of enthusiasm. I didn't know that I could go to Harvard and become the student of this professor. I was a high school dropout. I wasn't doing very good in school, but I did all this stuff. And so I became a student of this famous professor and no one told me this was impossible because he was too famous. So don't stop yourself because you know too much. I think one of the problems we have later in life when we get older, like me, is that we know too much and we're just we don't try things because we know we have to fit this certain groove and don't, don't worry about the groove, show your energy and excitement and move forward. Yeah. That's really interesting. We actually haven't had that advice on our podcast before. We have a lot of other advice and I find your advice very fascinating. One of the reasons, because I think it's really interesting. I think if Maddie and I would have known more about podcasting and how hard it is, we might not have started it. And basically if you don't, if you know how hard something is, you might not do it because you think it's really hard. So I think it's very fascinating. And basically, go out and do things. Don't let your knowledge keep you back. So I, right. it's very interesting. And you've uh, you've done it really well because you're getting uh, people to come on that you know are very hard to get sometimes, and yet they're excited by the idea because they haven't heard of this idea, and it's a, a great one. Keep going. the beginning of this discussion, we at least need to address the giant thing that just happened. Exploding ants. There are (laughs) such things as exploding ants. Yeah, that, I couldn't believe that. That was crazy. Man, writers of Ant-Man, please include the exploding ants in your next Ant-Man movie. That would be incredible. What do you think, Maddie? It would be awesome. Isn't there a newer Ant-Man movie coming? You should look out for that. That'd be fun. I I really hope they're exploding ants. I'm going to start a petition. We should do <laughs> I'll that. I'll sign your petition. Get exploding ants in the superhero MCU. <laughs> that would be incredible. MCU stands for Marvel Cinematic Universe, by the way. Or basically all the superhero movies about Iron Man and the other guys. <laughs> so exploding ants, battle formations, agricultural production with ants. That's crazy i can't yeah, believe they're seriously. that complex i know it's like he was saying that people most people grow out of like staring at ants and i think that's so true <laughs> like it is and then he was going into it, i was like wow i guess i take ants for granted like seriously yeah, it's like this crazy hive mind species 
I find I find it really interesting, honestly. I'm nodding my head right now. Yeah, that really was a fascinating interview. Again, petition for the exploding ants in Ant-Man. That would be incredible. I had no idea they weren't using ants to their full potential. So definitely, we definitely need to have that in a in a new superhero movie. That would be incredible. So yes. we that was really interesting. He talked about basically when he was young, his experience with animals and how he never grew out of studying ants. I thought that was really interesting. What did you think, Maddie? It was. Something that stuck out to me, though, was how, you know, like he was talking about how we're talking about human societies and ants and how those are how the similarities and differences, how like we have a president or a king or wherever you live, you have a leader that is above you that like helps govern you and yada, yada, yada. But like <laughs> ants don't have a leader. I like that he said that and that all of them have individual bits of knowledge. So that's kind of how ants are so unstoppable because you can, sure, you can, sorry, this sounds terrible, but kill some, but they're eventually going to get the sugar, like you said, because they're like, they all are working together and equally know stuff. And I think that's really cool. Yes. My favorite part about that, Maddie, was your explanation of governments. (laughs) That was awesome. Yeah, that is, but to your point, that is really fascinating. And I find that definitely really interesting. His advice was also fascinating. It was basically, if you don't remember, quick refresh. It was basically, don't your ignorance is actually kind of a gift because then you won't know your limitations. So I thought that was really interesting and deep and insightful advice. What do you think, and Maddie? true. Because if I knew how much time this podcast would be taking ahead of time, I'm not sure that I would have so readily said yes. Because it's, I like, it is true. Like you go into these big projects or you discover this and you're like, wow, I didn't know that it would turn out this way. So I do agree with his advice. Yeah, it takes a lot of time producing this stuff, but it also, it's really great. So I think if you think about, if you know all the negatives, you might not always think of the positives as well. Definitely. So worth it though. This podcast is so worth it. We got to talk to Dr. Bugs, also known as Dr. Moffat. So that's his nickname. Um, That was incredible. So Maddie, what are our usual announcements? <laughs> well, Taylor, um, go check us out on our website at aimingforthemoon.com. We have a blog where you can see Maddie's opinions. And like we said, our series called Podcast Logs, which is kind of a personal spin on what it's like running a podcast. We also have guest pages so you can see what all of our guests look like and how there's kind of a short bio so you can learn a little bit more about them. And then we also have a contact page. So if you have any guests that you would like to see on our show or you have any things that you like that we're doing or you don't, feel free to let us know. Fill that form out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Maddie, have you explained the social media yet? If not, no. Okay. (laughs) So we are on social media, um, on Twitter and Instagram. It is aiming the number four moon. And then we also have a YouTube channel with kind of, we release things like the actual interviews and what they look like as they're happening. Um, And so that's the Aiming for the Moon podcast. So please put podcast because a bunch of songs are going to come up, but you can eventually find us there too. Yep. Maddie is now the official head of Aiming for the Moon YouTube channel. (laughs) I have stepped down from that position because YouTube for some reason is complex for me. I don't know why. (laughs) Um, There's something wrong with me probably. (laughs) Well, yes, I'm not sure when this interview will come out, But in the meantime, we will be having some very fascinating people on. So like Dr. Cal Newport's coming on. Don't know when his episode will release. A few other people will be coming on. We have an actor coming on. That'll be awesome. And yeah, we have a lot of fascinating stuff coming on. 
uh, coming up. And I can't wait to show you guys. Yeah. So remember to review and subscribe and all of those and rating and all of those things, whatever platform you're on, do those things. It helps us. Yeah, for sure. And don't forget, set your sights high and aim for the moon.